You're listening to the 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. Join us as we uncover tomorrow's 10 baggers today. And now here's your host, Jordan Royburn. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 10 Bagger Podcast. Today, this is episode number 13 with a good friend of mine, good friend of the show. He's the <laughs> mercenary geologist, Mickey Fulp. Mickey, it's so great to have you on. It's been it's been a little while since we chatted. So uh, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. And it looks like we're in a, at least a bull market for gold. And so... For the first time in quite some time, I'm I've been taking some money off the table by from stocks that uh, have ran up or stocks that have been underwater for a long time, and I said, I say, well, it's run up, and I can get out and move my money into something else that that probably has better upside in the near term. Yeah, that my follow up to that would be. Um because I know you do lots of financings. Do you, given, okay, I guess there's an interesting dynamic because, you know, the gold price has been really strong, but the junior market, it's been in selective areas, it's been very strong. I mean, have there, and have nots, right? Are there, yeah. are, do you think there's still really good opportunities out there in terms of financings? Uh, I'm not sure in terms of financings and uh, over the last, couple of years, I have increasingly uh, moved away from private placements uh, in the public venue uh, for a variety of reasons. Number one, they haven't, most have not really paid off and you got the four month hold. So, so I moved away from, from what I did in previous years uh, in the bull market and, and even in some of the bear market years. And and I moved more into uh, early stage financings with private companies that have a road to a public venue at some point um, and and buying in the open market. So um, I think I only participated in two private placements all last year. And as of this year, zero. <laughs> OK, and I, I want to talk about. 10 baggers. And first, you know, a, a big reason why I asked you to come on is because when we look at 10 baggers, you know, there's people who, who they talk about financings, they participate in financings, but there's also, you know, people who buy in the market and the interviews that I've done more than one or two people have said, gosh, you got to be careful about those warrants. Like when you're looking at small mm -hmm. companies that can become 10 baggers, even, you know, one, one of my guests said that he said, if you issue too many warrants, like that's the end of your company. I mean, he doesn't literally mean that's the end of your company, but if you issue too many warrants, you know, you basically, unless you get really lucky, you know, you need the, the market to be really strong to save you. And, you know, last weekend I, I was reading through your stuff, Mickey, and one of your old articles you talked about warrants and I mean, you really, because, and, and I just want to stop for a second because there's a lot of big names in the sector who talk about how wonderful warrants are and, you know, sell the stock and just keep the warrant. That's great for you. Uh, but I mean, you were just, you just wrote a great piece about warrants and, and the negatives and why you were really bothered with them. Can you just discuss that for our audience? 
Well, they become overhangs on the stock uh, as they approach their uh, expiry dates. Uh, they uh, increasingly are used by the some, same people that say how much they love warrants are the people that that immediately sell the stock once the private placement hold is off over at four months. And you and I as Americans, we have, <clears throat> pardon me, another four to six weeks to get that U.S. legend cleared. So we're immediately uh, behind the eight ball on that. But they use the warrants as a call on the stock. So uh, all they're trying to do is get off their private placement uh, position, get their money out, make a little money if it's so be it, or, or break even, and then play the warrants as a call on the stock. And uh, it leads to to increasing dilution, warrants can lead to private placements that are done at lower and lower prices. And, uh, you know, I basically, uh, when I do participate in, in private placements, I do it, I've done it over the last couple of years, mainly in the private and private sector without warrants. And, uh, and then when the company becomes, public uh i may have an escrow hope for a while but but i'm not uh, a participant a participant in in a regular financing so um unless i've taken this position that uh, the title of the piece that came out in mid-october for subscribers and it was uh, made available to uh the public maybe about a month ago. Uh, the title of it is uh, Why Warrants Are the Worst of Wagers, and, and I really think they are. It's, uh, and it comes from my study over the last five or six years. Now, admittedly, that was a bear market, but the number of warrants that were in the money and exercisable prior to their expiry dates uh, was a, a huge minority. Uh, some of the warrants I've held have been extended, but uh, most of those are still not in the money. Uh, it's a dilutive financial instrument that I, I would ask that anybody that participates in private placements, go back and look at your records uh, over the last 10 years and figure out how many warrants <clears throat> were exercisable and that you exercised and sold at a profit. And I dare say it's going to be something on the order of about one in four or one in five. Right. And like you said, admittedly, we've been in a bear market, but I mean, we can be, I mean, if you look at gold, I mean, gold has done pretty well over the last three or four years, but it hasn't been like that super straight, consistent rise that we had in the 2000s, at least not yet. So, I mean, we could, you know, if you're if we're in a bull market, but it's not a rip roaring bull market. I mean, can it still be difficult for the stocks who issue all companies who issue all these warrants? It could still be difficult for the stocks to get above that warrant price. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And there's a variety of reasons, and and I urge everybody the the the. Uh, the musing is available on my website to everybody, and it's a short read. I don't know. It's 
certainly less than a thousand words long. It might even be about 800 words and, and read through it and tell me what you think about it. I've taken a position, uh, you know, and I'm arguing a point. <clears throat> My points are not written in stone, but, uh, but the avoidance of private placement warrants is, is uh, one of my new rules of thumb. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, in that vein, Mickey, then, um, then if you're looking for private placements, would you only consider companies that are able to finance without issuing warrants? Uh, that's part of the agenda now. Uh, so <clears throat> I'd rather buy on the open market with no hold. I prefer to buy a private placement without warrants. The only way that I will consider one with warrants would be if it is very tightly held and my uh, and people that I know and people I'm associated with who I know are not going to sell the stock to play the warrants. My kind of my uh, group of strategic investors, if they're significantly involved, then I know who holds those warrants, and I know their the way they trade, and we're all, we're in this together sort of uh, idea with with the people I'm associated with. So uh, you know, I won't <clears throat> necessarily reject all private placements because they have a warrant, but there have to be special conditions now for me to consider that. And when there is a warrant, does that um, increase the chances that uh, the the financiers who participate that they can short the stock when that four month hold comes up. Well, certainly they. I mean, anybody can short the stock. I'm not sure that insiders or uh, big investors are necessarily always the ones shorting a stock. Uh, I'm under the impression most of the shorting that's going on in the business right now is is due to naked short selling uh, by algorithmic traders lo located in offshore locations. Um, and I'm working on a piece right now about that uh, uh, in conjunction with a new organization called Save Canadian Mining and trying to get this rule changed uh, uh to put the uptick rule back in place. And just a last thought here on warrants, Mickey. I mean, isn't the whole point of financing a company, you're, you're giving your money to a company, you're investing in them, you're hoping that it pays off. It, it, and then if you get a warrant and then, you know, you turn around and just dump the stock. I mean, it just seems like that goes against the point of financing the company in the first place. Isn't it? There's supposed to be a mutual benefit. Like I'm giving you money and you know, you're going to work and, and create and develop something that's going to pay off in the future. I just, the, 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 the clip, the, the clipping the warrants and selling the stock. I mean, it just, to me, it just goes against why would you finance a company in the first place? Well, a lot of institutionals, a lot of funds, uh, banks, uh, some of the usual big suspects in the business uh, and brokers and their clients, that's the modus operandi uh, is, let's say you, you do five private placements and you sell all the, all the uh, private placements at break even, uh, more or less uh, at the time or soon after, 
that they become free trading. So let's say in a four to six month time frame, uh, you sell all the stock and you play the warrants. Well, if one out of five warrants or one out of four warrants uh, is in the money, then you've made money and you're just playing calls. So it, it becomes almost a statistical thing with, with people that do this. You know, we'll, we'll go into 10 private placements and, and sell the stock and break even. And we got, we got 10 calls on the price of gold, 10 calls on the company, 10 calls on the price of copper as a surrogate for uh, a, a copper exploration company, for example. Okay, so with that said, uh, you know we've beaten this thing to death. But I, I wanted you, yeah. to, I wanted you to do that. Um, so that, so I guess if we're looking at small companies that have the potential to become ten baggers, you have the share structure, the warrants, very important. Um, so, Mickey, talking about ten baggers, just give me some general thoughts, like in terms of finding or spotting potential ten baggers. I mean, I know you have a lot of experience with this. So, what pops into your head when I when I mention ten baggers? Frankly, I don't know how a speculator searches for 10 baggers. I can tell you what we do, and we're looking for two baggers. We're looking for doubles in 12 months or less, uh, at which time our trading philosophy is you sell half and you go find the next stock that you can double. Uh, I think it's somewhat serendipitous when you get onto a two bagger. Uh, a couple of ways that can happen is if you have a big discovery particularly in gold in a new unexplored terrain uh, or a commodity bubble like the rare earth bubble in the uh, early uh, parts of, uh, of the previous decade, uh, say 2009 to 2012. We had, you know, I, we meaning uh, uh, my group of strategic investors or, or the group of which I'm involved, um, we had three 10 baggers or 20 baggers, or uh, in one instance, we had a 60 bagger during that period of time. Um, but that was because it was a commodity bubble. Uh, but that said, when you get lucky on a 10 bagger, there's some reasons that you got lucky. Um, goes back to fundamentals. You, in any company, you got the right people who've had success in the past and likely have technical backgrounds, i.e. they're geologists or engineers, tight share structure and management has big holdings. So they got skin in the game. So they're operating in the best, in their best interests and therefore in the best interests of their retail shareholders. Um, you know, you need promising geology. You need a geographical location uh, that is has infrastructure and easy to get to, and not a not a horrendous climate. Um, and so, a little plug here: I'm a geologist, so I know how to evaluate that part of it probably better than most uh, pundits and newsletter writers. Um, permissive geopolitics: you know, you want to want to go into a country where. Uh, where the rule of law is followed and there's secure mineral tenure and you're not subject to uh, some after-the-fact resource nationalism. So from that point of view, we've moved more and more uh, into specific countries of the Americas and specifically into the Western U.S. 
Uh, my favorite venue right now is no doubt the Western U.S., at least for gold. And finally, you need uh, cash in the bank or working capital or uh, the ability to raise working capital one way or the other that's not dilutive to your legacy shareholders. Uh, so you can explore and make, make a discovery. And finally, and this is the key to it, and as you know, Jordan, I'm a, I'm a fundamental guy and I'm a contrarian, so you want to get in early. You want to find and pick these stocks through really rigorous due diligence and research uh, when they're unknown, unloved, unwanted, and undervalued. Okay, I mean there there was so much great info there. So I, no, <laughs> that was I mean, a mouthful, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, I'm but sorry no. I went off on a bit no. of bit of a rant there. But no. I'm passionate about this subject, obviously. Oh, you're pat you're passionate and you're experienced and well informed. And so I, I mean, I there's like two or three different follow up questions I want to ask. So okay. I'm, th I'm thinking of which <laughs> which one uh, which one is next. So I think what I mean, you you basically pointed out. You said discovery and. Um, you know, a commodity price bubble. I mean, to simplify it. Uh, so let me ask you this. I mean, you may have already answered this, but so, I mean, after something, this, this is interesting. So, because something that turns into a 10 bagger, it's already, you know, when you, it, it may have already gone up two, three, four times, and then it goes up another 10 times. <laughs> like when you, yeah. when you, when you look at stuff and you start to take money off the table, when it doubles for you at that point, after something has already been successful i mean at that point what factors determine if that is going to continue to rise or if it will just fizzle out well that's really hard to to say and that's the great unknown so uh, and so that kind of leads back to what i first said about the search for for tin baggers is um i don't i don't really search for tin baggers and i don't know uh, how you know when a 10-bagger is coming. Uh, we take money off the table, a double, and then we sell in increasingly spread tranches on the way up. So we're always taking uh, profits once we uh, take our money off the table, which means you got zero cost basis. And then you're playing with someone else's money. You're playing with house money. You know, hell, Jordan, I might be playing with your money by that, by that time, right? <laughs> but... If you're playing and if you're holding for 10 baggers, you're going to lose a significant amount of your potential profits because a 10 bagger implies that the stock has gone exponential. So, so I'm getting into your bailiwick right now with, uh, with technical analysis. If you get a exponential rise, I can guarantee you, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I'm taking a position and I'm asking you a question. If you have an exponential rise, it would be my position that you are set up for a parabolic top and an exponential fall on the backside. Now, if the stock has good fundamentals, that exponential fall will in no way approach the height of the parabola. Uh, uh, let me put that differently. I didn't say that quite. It will it will, the parabolic fall will be at a significant uh, uh, m multiple or should be to 
where it was before it started its exponential rise. So you still have profits. So, you know, we very seldom, unless things go up really quickly, uh, get sell at 10 baggers. And you got to remember that you must sell stock to make money. Profits and losses on paper are just that. That is not real fiat money. Right. And I mean, something I learned from you and lots of other people, you got to trim your position along the way. You know, it's exactly what you're, especially when it makes yeah. it, especially when it, you, yeah. especially when it makes the vertical parabolic move that you're talking about. And a lot of these things that have become 10 baggers, like you get 30 and 40% corrections along the way. And it's, you know, it's hard to know if it's only at the time, is it only going to be a 30% decline or, you know, what if it's a 50 or 60% and it really fizzles out? So that's why, yeah, I mean, you're so correct about that. You have to trim your position um, along the way, figure out what works best mm -hmm. for you. But, yep. okay, Mickey, with, with that being said, I mean, the reason people are really listening is because they want stock picks. I mean, in addition to this, <laughs> this bounty or cornucopia of great knowledge that we're giving out here, but, but you know, people really... They really want stock picks. So with with all that said, uh, is it possible that you could share a stock pick or two that uh, you think has big potential? Well, Jordan, to be quite frank with you, that's restricted to my subscribers only uh, at this stage. So we run a sponsor model, um, not a, a free subscription model. Uh, but to get my stock picks on a timely basis, meaning – a few minutes is after it hits uh, hits the email blast. You'll have it in your email block uh, in your email box, and and so our our stock picks are restricted to uh, our free subscribers. And but it, the price is right, so all I have to do is go to the website and give us a name and a and an email address. Hell, you can fake the name. We don't care, but you got to give us a working email address. Uh, I can tell you a couple that we've, uh, big successes that we've had over the last couple of years. So uh, Ely Gold Royalties has been a nine-bagger. Uh, we picked it at nine cents, and and it hit 86 cents. So it's uh, last week. Uh, it's since settled down at 71. We think that stock still has significant upside because it's being revalued as a royalty company versus what it was before when we first picked it at nine cents. And it was a prospect generator mainly uh, in Nevada, illegal royalties, ELY on the venture. Uh, one of our other successes over uh, since uh, May of 2017 picked uh, Trilogy Metals, New York American Exchange listed company. It's been a five-bagger, so we picked it uh, for subscribers at 65 cents. It's been as high as 314. It's about 215 today. It's been knocked down with the price of copper, uh, uh, the panic over uh, some new version of flu that's uh, killing about 1,000 people in China so far. Um, so we think it has additional upside with catalysts coming. So I didn't answer your question, but uh, anything that I think a Tim backer is not going to go out to the public on the airwaves until I get my subscribers first pick. Um, 
We are in a new private company that will be public uh, soon called Rockwell Resources. Um, it is a Carlin-type gold play. And uh, how would I say this? Uh, not one of the probably favored geopolitical jurisdictions in the world, but we picked this stock. Uh, there's a private placement opportunity still available uh, for my free email subscribers on the website um, because it's got such huge geological potential for a uh, new Carlin-type district. Um, best drill hole so far, and there's been $11 million of private money put into this company. Uh, uh, some of that money is mine. Um, 21 meters of 33 grams per ton gold and a Carlin system that the rocks uh, look like they could be thrown the core. Uh, a box of core could be uh, inserted into uh, Getchell or Turquoise Ridge, producing gold mines in Nevada and fit right in. That's great info. So, but what, what, before I let you go, Mickey, just if you were, I mean, maybe you've already answered this, but it, just today, if you were looking for something to buy today that has 10 bagger potential, just any thoughts on that? I mean, commodity, discovery, et cetera, yep. I mean, whatever. What, yep. If you were going to try and find a 10 bagger and you had to buy something today, give us a little help on that. It's got to be gold and more likely it's going to be in the Western U.S. And if it was in Nevada on a trend, I'd be even more excited. All right. Very good. Mickey, on that note, uh, before I let you go, please tell our listeners uh, where they can go to find your work and uh, how they can subscribe. Well, I think I've already told you how to subscribe. It's free. So just go on the website, mercenarygeologist.com. Uh, right under my mug shot is, is a banner and you click on that and takes you about a minute to get subscribed. And about a minute later, uh, you're going to receive an email giving you access to some of my restricted work on the website right now. And finally, at Mercenary Geo, we have a huge Twitter follower following uh, 51,500 Twitter uh, followers, and we're quite active on Twitter on a variety of subjects. I think you'll be entertained. Well, I definitely am uh, following you on Twitter. Uh, Mickey, <laughs> I thanks. know that. Thank, thanks so much and for coming on. And we follow you too. Yes, thanks so much for coming on. I and my listeners really appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you back again uh, in the coming months. We could talk more about 10 baggers. Well, let's hope we all uh, all get lucky here as uh, with a continuing bull market for, for gold and we all make a, a stock pick or two that rewards us with eventually as our positions dwindle and we sell and take profits with 10 baggers. Thank you for listening to the 10 bagger podcast presented by the daily gold for premium coverage of precious metals and the best junior mining companies. Visit the forward slash premium.